Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Really great to be with you all again. And I'm delighted to welcome back Alexander Shire to the podcast. Welcome back, Alexander. Thank you, James. It is great to be here. I, I always look forward to, to talking with you and, and to talking through you um, to all of your listeners. Yeah, I think you've been here 10 times, 9 or 10 <laughs> times now. Uh, about 150, 160 episodes, you've been on like oh, 10 wow. of them. That's wow. more than any other guest, so that is pretty awesome. <laughs> well, well, thank you for leaving a chair at the table for me. Yeah, no props. <laughs> it's always good to talk to you, my friend. Um, so today we're going to talk what, about... What, what mischief can we get into today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um I'm sure it's going to be very enlightening. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're going to talk about um, your new book, Returning from Camino, and what the Camino really actually is, and what it means, and all sorts of things to do with that. So, um, let's just begin with actually just explaining what the Camino is, for those who don't know, and then we can just get into it from there. I'm, I'm aware that most people, when they hear the, of the Camino and in Spain, they think of this 1,200-year-old uh, route uh, of walking to the great city of Santiago de Compostela, where we believe the tomb of the Apostle James is. And that is definitely one part of what is meant by the Camino. But it's like walking into the middle of a movie. The story is, has been going on quite a while. This, this ancient route across all of Europe that then comes down to a few um, major paths across Spain have been walked, we believe, as an anthropologist, we believe now for about 8,000 years. We can go back and we can see the route marked by standing stones and goddess shrines. Wow. So we are not, we're not absolutely clear about why people have walked this route for so long. We do know that this route leads out to a couple of points in the northwest of Spain that are at the edge of the Atlantic Sea. And that when you come to one of these points at night and a clear night, you stand there with the entire continent of Europe behind you and the sea ahead of you and above you the cosmos, the Milky Way. Wow. And we, we imagine that our ancients thought of this as a portal to the cosmos. Uh, and they definitely thought of this as the place where the sun goes down but where we think of the West, perhaps, as the place where the sun goes down and dies, they actually thought of the place of the West as the pregnant place, as, as where the, the sun goes to be reborn. Wow. So um, <sighs> we can imagine what their experience was, but we don't exactly know. There are no written records. However, they've left a record of their feet, and they've left monuments along the way, which tell us that, that this path is perhaps the most walked path 
pilgrimage path in all the Western world. It may be the most walked path in the world, period. Wow. Hard for us to know um, about ancient paths that are in Asia or perhaps ancient paths that are in Africa, which are not generally known to us. But it is said that in the Middle Ages, one million pilgrims a year walked this route. So you just start adding up 8,000 years and thousands upon thousands of people and now millions upon millions of people who have walked this path, who have left their prayer and their sweat on this path. And I will tell you for myself, there is a presence there. And I don't quite know how to describe it when I'm, when I'm talking with the pilgrims that I lead now. I will describe that one plus one on the Camino is 46. Um, there is something else there. That's all I know. We, we can all, we can call it St. James. We can call it the Christ. We can call it Mary. We can call it the Madonna. We know that people in ancient times called it the way of Isis. Um, other people have called it the way of Mercury or the way of, of uh, Venus. Um, we know that this route was the final route of initiation for a Druid priest. So mm -hmm. this route has been hallowed by all the world's religions and spiritualities. And then in um, about 850, as a round number, uh, we Christians discovered a tomb in those days it was in a cemetery in a forest and all sorts of miracles were happening around this tomb people were describing the smell of roses other people were describing light coming up out of the ground and the bishop had the tomb opened and upon opening the tomb and finding what was there declared it as the long lost bones of the apostle St. James and we historically know that James, the apostle, had gone to the Iberian Peninsula, where Spain is today, and preached um, in the late 30s and early 40s of the first century. We actually know that, that Christianity was preached in Spain before Christianity was preached in Rome. Uh, this is one of the earliest first places after Israel and Palestine. And James, and James went there and was not quite successful in his mind. He often despaired that he wasn't able to evangelize well. He didn't have many followers. Um, he wasn't inspiring people to be a follower of Jesus the Christ. And we know that, what, that in the story that Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary came to James a couple of times um, in a vision experience to give him comfort, uh, to support him, uh, to help him from falling, in, from falling into despair. And so there are these places in Spain that honor Mary's coming in a visionary way to James during the time that he was there. But we know ultimately he left, he went back to Jerusalem, and we believe James was beheaded in Jerusalem um, very early, somewhere we think like 43, 44, first century. And then the story is, is that 
the disciples took James's body and his head and put it in a stone boat and set that boat out onto the Mediterranean Sea. And that the miracle is, is that that stone boat with his body floated all the way across the Mediterranean and following the current eventually landed on the shore in northwest, in what today is northwest Spain. And that then uh, people there ultimately took the body from the shoreline up the mountain to what today is Santiago de Compostela, and he was buried. And then the tomb was forgotten, uh, rediscovered at about 850, mm. declared, and that very shortly after the declaration that this was the tomb of James, people began to walk to the tomb, and miracles began to happen amongst those people who walked there. Ultimately, uh, a chapel was built, and then a Romanesque church was built, and then finally uh, a Romanesque cathedral was built, and then later that Romanesque cathedral was reformed and remodeled and made into a Baroque uh, cathedral, which is what is there now. But still, the the tomb when, remains uh, deep under where the altar is, and is a place of tremendous reverence. And for myself, I find that whenever I am down at the tomb, I have a tremendous sense of peace. And I, I don't know whether to describe that peace is because of the belief that this is the tomb of James, or it's the peace of millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of pilgrims who have come here uh, with their sweat um, and days and months and in some cases years of walking to come here and to pray in this place. And, and I feel their presence. I, I feel uh, the same when I'm there. I, I never, when I go down into that crypt, I, I, I know I'm not alone. I know that I am held in the prayer of hundreds of millions of people who've come here before me. Wow. That's incredible. It's an incredible story. And just sounds just an incredible it's a rite of passage. You know. Um it's definitely something that I was I've always I've I've wanted to do, never had time or the money um to be able to do. It's something that I I definitely want to do at some point in my life. But it's you know, if, it if is incredible. anyone feels the call to do this, my, my response is go. If you don't feel the call, don't go. But if you feel the call, go. And there, there are so many different ways to walk it from, from uh, very, I mean, I have met people on the Camino who have no money and have gone and, and depend on the goodness of others and, and find you know, they, they, they offer to clean bars and cafes at night after they've closed and the, the owners will give them a place to stay for the night. Other people go and, and they stay in what are called the orificios or the albergues. And these can just, these places can be as little as five or six euro for a night up to maybe 25 or 30 euro for a night. 
depending on the accommodations or depending upon whether they offer you food. And and then there are other ways to go. And, and you know, I now have the great honor of taking people with me when I go every fall. Every fall. And we do retreat days and we have morning meditation. Um, and I have the chance to teach them about my work on the Gospels and Quadratus. Um, from my book, Heart and Mind. But this is not the inexpensive way to, to walk the Camino because we are staying in these Casa Rualds and Pensiones. Um, it's, it's this, this way of walking with me is, um, going, to, is going to cost. I wish, I wish that there were a foundation out there that would support this work in a way that, I, that we could do it um, without hmm. it being quite as financially costly. But the Camino is um, one of the last great true rites of passage that we have left in the West. And, and the reason that I, I say that it's, that it's one of the last and, and the truest is because, first of all, um, a rite of passage needs to have intent. Um, you can't do a rite of passage in a day. Um, you, you, the rite of passage has got to be an experience which um, has the potential to offer you transformation. And by the fact that it's going to offer you transformation, you need to have a level of anxiety about it. I don't think any of us ever needs to go out and we don't need to create an anxiety which is not there. But if you go and walk the Camino for however long you walk it, whether it's two weeks, a month, a couple of months, or years, um, you you know you know the wonderings and the concerns. Is my body going to be able to take this? Mm. What um, what? level of blisters am I going to have? Um, am I going to have problems with my knees or uh, my legs, my hips? The, it, it be, because this Camino is physically, it will physically take you to your limit. And that's its gift and its challenge. It'll take you to your physical limit. It'll take you to your emotional limit. For some people, it will take them to their spiritual limit. But it's that place where we're empty that spirit gives us a new infilling. Mm. And there's so few places that we have in, in our Western cultural world today which really challenge us at such a level. I, I, I love church ritual. But we don't have any church rituals, um, say maybe ordination, that are a real rite of passage. Um, they're too much performa. They're, they're, they, they ask education, but they don't ask transformation. And this is the problem with so much in church. It, the church wants to educate us, but not transform us. And spirituality is about 
of transformation. And of course, there's education, which is part of transformation, but it's not the major part. Um, you know, if we're going to take an adolescent on a rite of passage, this is hardly a confirmation class. Um, that is such a low-level ritual of passage that, it, that, it's, that it's sad. It's a sad tragedy. Uh, a, 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 a rite of passage has got to be a profound encounter with something greater than yourself, often in nature. So I love to work with communities and traditions that want to craft a true rite of passage for an adolescent or for middle age or for elderhood, et cetera. But it's not going to be a couple of days. It's not going to weaken an experience. It's, it's going to be something lengthy, and it's going to call forth everything, and it's going to take you to the place that you're empty and don't know whether you can go on. That's when a rite of passage really begins. So I walked the Camino for myself in my 60th year, in the year 2012. And, and the Camino did exactly that. It's like I, 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 was, I was totally empty when I started in 2012. Um, mm. I spent 10 years writing the book Heart and Mind. Uh, I had got chewed up by the big publishing houses. I had lost who I was. I, I didn't know the authenticity of my own voice anymore. It's like between the press and the publishing houses and this person and that person. And I, I lost myself and I was exhausted. So in some ways I started my 2012 Camino empty. I didn't have to go find it on the Camino. But what happened was, and I was prepared for this because of all of my work, both as an anthropologist and a spiritual director and a psychologist, I already knew that on the Camino, I would get energy, but I wouldn't get my answer. And this is, and, and I saw so many people spend so much time on the Camino asking themselves, trying to find the answer for why they were walking. It's wasted energy. You never find why you're walking the Camino while you're walking. You find why you walked after you come home. Mm. And this is the, it's like in our Western mind, we think we've got to have the answer before we go have the experience. And the Camino is just the opposite. The Camino asks us, don't figure out why you're walking. And that's why I say, if you hear the call to walk, walk. And in the process of the walking, and in the process of coming home, the answers and the meanings will begin to happen to you. So when I was walking in 2012, I saw things that, that saddened me be, because I, I, I knew from my anthropological work on rites of passage, I, I knew the rhythm of a rite of passage. And I know that, that, um, that the fourth part of a rite of passage is the long journey to come home. And that long journey to come home is not just the physical journey of arriving back home. There's a, an emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspect to coming home, which is very deep. It's because if this is a rite of passage, 
you do not come home the same person you left. And you come home and you don't know who you are. At some level, you don't know who you are. And, and you don't know the answers anymore. And, and the energy of the Camino is about a nine-month to 18-month to maybe three- or five-year process. Once you're home, Mm. to find out who you are and what the next place in your life is about. Wow. So when I walked, I saw so many people get to Santiago or get to the ocean and celebrate that the Camino was over. <laughs> and, then, and then what happened next was because they stayed in touch with some of these people and I started getting emails. They came home, and they had an acute depression. They came home, their wife fell apart. They came home on a high from the Camino and met all the, the, the stresses of everyday life and began to think that the Camino was a delusion. They didn't go on the Camino to come home. They went on the Camino to go on the Camino. And, and that's... That's not the true story here. You, you go on the Camino not just to have a great walking holiday. You go on the Camino to discover a presence and an energy that once you are back home, you begin to work with to discover what this is all about. And that's why I felt compelled to write this book called Returning from Camino because People don't sadly know what to do when they get home. And, and they don't know yet that when they get home, they can't expect people around them, even their spouse, even their best friends, they can't expect them to know how to be with them. They can't expect them to know that they have any sense about what the Camino meant, because you don't know what the Camino meant. And, and what happens is that when you when you come home, you begin to discover that you respond to your friends, you respond to life situations, you respond to work differently. You're you're not emotionally and psychologically the same person who left, and mm. you can't know that until you're back home. Because the, the Camino is, is a rarefied place, which is not your everyday, ordinary life. But it's when you are back at work, back with the family, back with your friends, back at the pub, back in discussions, then you begin to find that you're responding differently. Then you begin to discover new aspects of yourself or then you begin to discover new attitudes and new ways that you want to respond but at that point you discover the newness now you've got another challenge which is all the situations that you're in are still expecting the, the guy or, or the woman who left to be the person that they're sitting with now and your friends and your family and your work situation don't really know how to support you. And actually, they're a little shocked um, that, you're, that you went on what they consider a vacation or a holiday and came home somewhat changed. 
Mm. So the return home can be lonely, and you can begin to feel quite isolated. And in my book, I have just a whole series of exercises and thoughts and ways that I want to prepare you for the experience. Nobody can save you from having the experience. But if you know that the experience is likely, then you can sort of, in my language, lean into it and sort of gently hold it rather than fighting it or thinking that you did something wrong on the Camino, which is why you're in this state now. You're in this state now because the Camino was so true. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting what you say about about return from Camino. I mean, I and rites of passage because I I I couldn't help resonating with a lot of my my story the last kind of three and a half years because I feel like that's been a rite of passage. When you talk about what a rite of passage is, the yeah. things that have happened to me on during that time and what I've almost lost and where I've been. It kind of feels like that was a rite of passage, and then like it kind of ended when I sold my flat. And now this year, I'm kind of this year. I've been so far. I've been just beginning to find out who I am again, and I'm just entering into that with curiosity. And it's like I've changed, but I don't know how I've changed yet. So it kind of that kind of resonates. That idea kind of resonates. I think you are exactly in a rite of passage, um, and I shouldn't give any impression that the Camino was the only great rite of passage. <laughs> oh no, I didn't. I didn't think that. Passage, but one of the challenges of what you're in right now is that it's not generally recognized. You know, it, it, at least the people who go on the Camino can come back and can point to this and sort of know that they were in it because of what they did. Whereas many of us have these great rites of passage in our lives, which are change of work, illness, uh, becoming a parent. Um, these are huge rites of passage. And we don't have the mentors that can hold us and, and teach us and form us as we move through it. Mm. That's true. It is, yeah. Learning how to deal with rites of passage is definitely a lost art in our culture. In fact, even recognizing rites of passage is has been like you like you said earlier. But it's just been lost, and um, we kind of need to reclaim that. It, you know, I've been you know, obviously I've been reading Richard Raw a lot, and he talks about rites of passage a lot as well, and. Yeah, the two I, halves I, of life and that kind of thing. Um, his book, Adam Returns, which is about, and, and sadly, the book is sort of, I mean, it's been out there as, as this is a man's book about a rite of passage, and I, I would really suggest that any gender can read this. Of course, there's going to be some things in the book which are particular to men, but if you want to look at a, at a, at a person who truly knows what it takes, to go through a rite of passage that's a great book. Hmm. One of his older books, I think it's from the early 2000s. Yeah. 
He's written so many books, I can't keep up. Um, <laughs> um, so, so with, the, with the, the pilgrims that I take on the Camino, it's um, it's one of the books that I suggest that people read, um, and kind of, so that I can help understand the the life of a pilgrim is an intentional way to pass it. So what has this what has this done? What was what was your return from Camino? What did it do? What how did, what did the experience do to you, do to you? Especially the first time, because obviously you've done it several times now. But well, um, and, and I and make a distinction for myself. I I walked in twenty twelve as my pilgrimage, and and now beginning in twenty fifteen, every autumn I go and I take a group with me that I serve as their mentor. Mm. Uh, so I'm really clear that my Camino was 2012. And beginning in 2015, that's really not my Camino anymore. It's like I'm there holding space, if you will, mm. for the pilgrims as they want their Camino. But yeah. I'll tell you, I came home from 2012, and something happened to me that's very typical um, I, I had not had, I'd been very fortunate to not have a lot of physical injury while I walked. I, I had some, I had some problems with my knee, I certainly had blisters. Um, but I was standing at the Madrid airport and I went to pick up my duffel bag that had my backpack in it and to put it on the conveyor belt so they could weigh it and then you know, send it on. I was, I was at the airport counter. And as I picked up that duffel bag, my shoulder popped. And I just almost crumpled in the airport in pain. And um, I can't remember how I got from Madrid back to the States. I was in so much pain. And for the next six weeks, this tremendous pain, and I had some pain-relieving drugs, and I was doing massage, and I was... Um, also doing some acupuncture, but it, this was six weeks of tremendous pain, and I have heard of so many people who have come home with something like that, and I actually call it the sacred wound. And one of the pieces that the sacred wound is there for is to slow us down. Uh, I would never wish anyone the level of pain that I experienced, but. Those six weeks, I couldn't work, and I sat and felt and pondered and remembered and felt more deeply again and questioned my Camino and um, asking myself what it had meant over and over again, asking myself what it had meant. And a couple of things came to me early on, and one was that I knew I had to write this book, Returning to Camino. Um, I needed to share what I knew from my anthropology work and my psychological work, um, as well as from my own experience now, mm. about, about this coming home. Uh, I also knew that I had discovered, I had rediscovered my authentic voice. I had shed myself of all the the marketing department from the big publishing houses 
and and the theological committee that was standing over here saying you can't say that, or if you say that, this is going to happen. And um, and in all of that, I just lost myself. I was just I, I didn't know how to speak the truth from my deepest deepest place. And so I, I knew that I had recovered the desire to speak from that deep place, mm. but I didn't know what I was going to say. So it was it was really two years of rediscovering who I was, and I rediscovered who I was by coming up upon situation after situation after situation where I found myself saying different things. I found myself saying things much more forthrightly and with much more clarity. But it wasn't like I sat down and said, okay, now I'm going to be clear. It was that the work of the Camino continued in me. And I would really say for three years, from 2012 to 2015, I would say was the immediate work for me of returning from Camino. And not only discovering myself anew, but discovering and developing a pattern about how I was going to behave and how I, how I was going to respond in certain situations. Mm. Anyway, it, it, it's, um, I don't know whether that feels clear enough uh, to you or to the people who are listening. I, I wish I could give like, more examples about this happened and I found myself saying this, but in general, I had lost myself before I walked. And then coming home, I had to go through a whole process to rediscover um, what Alexander really believed. And I, I don't know, you know, I've, I've had the rare experience of, uh, of a book published by Harper One that came out with all of this fanfare and all of this media and all of this stuff, but well, I wasn't prepared to handle it. You know, I let everyone else tell me what I needed to do and how I needed to do it and what I should say and how I should say it. And it didn't work because it was them and not me. Mm. It was their voice, not your voice. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, we're always in trouble when we start when we start speaking other people's voice of trying to speak. And I wouldn't have known that I had really lost myself at that level until the Camino. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because something similar um, happened to me like I, um, with my with my first book, I think. I didn't really have my voice when I wrote it. Even when I published it, you know, I didn't quite... I was again like you. I was speaking somebody else's voice, and this was actually part of this three-year journey. This was like this: this going through this, publishing this book, and then having it not work out as I wanted was almost like a rite of passage in itself. You know, it was. Um, I learned a lot from that experience um, about myself and about writing and about um, you know the. The danger of ego and loads of different things. Probably, I'll probably write a book about it one day. But um, yeah, so that resonates with me a lot. I hope you do.
Um, yeah. Really, really, I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm preaching now because I sort of have gone through the experience and I'm on the other side, and I just have a total empathy for people who feel like they're caught and lost and stuck and can't be themselves. Hmm. But I know now that I'm on the other side of that, it's like I'm not going to let anybody do that to me again. Hmm. I'm not going to let a church, a denomination, a publishing house, I'm not going to let anyone take away the authentic voice I have to offer. Absolutely. I hope you never do. Um, because we need your we need your authentic voice, Alexander. <laughs> Many of us. Um, many of us need it. Yeah, but another reality is that um, before the Camino, I was, it, it, I, you know, I have come out of the day man in the 1970s. Um, that's not been a revelation to friends and family and people that I've worked with, but I've been hesitant to speak that, to speak of that um, in, in the larger vein. I've been hesitant to speak about it before the media, etc. cetera. Uh, no more. I don't. I don't want to wear it on my sleeve, and yet it's a very important part of my voice. It's not, and it's not a, an, an, uh, an off to the side part of who I am and how I've come to know what I know. Mm. Yeah, and I, yeah, I admire just the courage that it took to to come out and say that. It's always a courageous decision for anyone to come out and. Um, even more so, I think, in the Christian world, you know. Um, and that is just a really brave thing, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I mean, I, I don't know whether I feel brave. I, I feel um, at, in, at the end, I made the decision to be authentic because I wanted to be vital and I wanted to be creative and I wanted to unleash my energy. And the only way to do that is to not hold back. So is that bravery? I, to me, it feels almost, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's what I have to do um, because I feel so compelled to share this message. Well, it is, I, you know, it's inspiring to me. I mean, I, a lot of people, I've got a lot of LGBTQ friends who've come out who are Christians, you know. Um, Vicky Beeching is one of my one of my heroes. She's um she's the, the amount of courage it took her to come out. I always when I read these stories and I hear people's coming out stories, especially Christians, it's like you know, um it's it's always, it always inspires me, you know. Um as someone who's a straight person and stuff who doesn't have to deal with all of that. Um you know, it, it's uh, inspiring and humbling. Um, yeah, and I guess that's all part of the journey, isn't it? It's part of discovering who we are and then actually owning that. It is, and I, you know, maybe as a gay man, I've got a few different aspects of discovery, but I, I, I think that every one of us has some place inside which is a bit hidden that we're afraid that if we really tell people this. Would they love me? Would I be accepted? Mm. And the learning for me has been 
my family, my real family, are those people who want to know who I am. And not only want to know it, want to celebrate it. Yeah, that's right. When you when you come out of with, and I'm not talking I'm not just talking about coming out in terms of our sexuality, but when you come out about who you really are, period, which can which which kind of inevitably happens when you go through a rite of passage, then some people might not like that. Some people find that uncomfortable. Some people, if, yeah. When you really go through a rite of passage. You are, there are going to be some friends and perhaps family who can't continue to walk with you. Yeah. And, and it's either that who you are becoming challenges them in some entrenched place they have inside, or that as they see you grow and change, mm. they feel called to their own growth and it concerns them, or they become fearful. Yeah, because it takes people out of their comfort zone. Yeah. You know, and that's where life really begins. You know, I have a I have a thing on my wall which says, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. I like that. And, it, it just, yeah, it just feels so, so true. Um, yeah. And the longer that the journey goes on, the, the more true it becomes. Um. Because my concept of what the comfort zone is is now much, very different to what it was, and you know, it, it really is a a huge thing to come out of your comfort zone and embrace who you really are. Now, people often ask me, "How how can you go to Spain and walk for fifty nine days?" And I and I honestly, I honestly mean that this. this is a not just blowing smoke here. Um, I don't go to Spain to think, of, and I don't think about I'm going to walk 59 days. Uh, I think anybody who thinks they're going to walk 59 days or 79 days or 10 days or whatever, you psych yourself out. You go and you say, what well, do I have to do today? And when, I, and when today comes to an end, I celebrate what I did today and I go to bed and, and then I get up the next morning at breakfast. I, I never look at my guidebook the day, at the end of the day after I've walked. No. Enjoy a meal. Have a glass of wine. Be with friends. Get up in the morning. Open your guidebook and look at what that day's going to be like. Mm. That's, that's how you do these long, long, long um works and, and it's not just on the Camino it's like you want to you want to be involved in a work that is going to go out into the distance don't look at the distance that's really wise today 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 and I really really learned it on the Camino today and when today is over celebrate today celebrate yeah. that small victory today get up tomorrow and do it again that's right. Be fully present. Be fully present in your life today at this moment. Yeah. And when we're on the Camino every morning with the with the, the pilgrims, I we do a twenty minute quiet sit meditation, and I always begin and end that time with reading a few lines from Thich Han's book on how to walk. What's a little very little book, you know? Each meditation is a couple of sentences, but he says just over and over again. 
I have arrived. You know, and I just I have pilgrims go out and practice every day as they're walking. I have arrived. With this step, I have arrived. With this step, I have arrived. So that even as you walk every day, you're trying to arrive in this moment, not arrive at the village we're going to at the end of the day. And mm. and that's part of the beauty of the Camino is, is that it removes time and space and all those other obligations that we get weighed down sometimes and gives me an, a, enough time to try to work on present right now. Yeah. And that's probably been my most valuable lesson that I come home with in the midst of everything else. It's like, okay, this is just another way of doing a Camino walk. And in this moment, with you, James, I have arrived. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a it's a really good way to end. Really, it, I I just I just wanted to add something about something I read from Abraham Joshua Heschel about Sabbath and time and how it's almost like there's space in time where almost out of time where the spirit moves and in a sense time passes but in terms of how much we grow an eternity can pass and it's like you know how we often say like you know two months ago but it feels like years ago it feels like a lifetime ago but it was only two months ago because you know we kind of almost come out of time and we change massively in a short period of time through a maybe it's through a rite of passage we change in a we change in a kind of eternal sense, but only two months has passed, but yet a lifetime has passed in terms of our own journey, um, and that kind of feels a bit like what a rite of passage in the Camino is about, in a sense. It's almost coming out of time and allowing ourselves to be transformed, you know. It is. It, it's just the Camino is just one of those places, not the only place, but it's one of those places that we can walk out of time and walk to the very heart of our authentic life and find it in me. Hmm. So where can people get this book? Well, I'm very happy to say at this moment you can get this book in English um, on Amazon, both in print uh, and uh, Kindle. And the title again is very simply Returning from Camino. And within, within weeks, maybe even next week, um, we will release the Spanish version in print and Kindle and the German version in print and Kindle. Awesome. And also, late this month, a Hungarian publisher is releasing a Hungarian version of the so immediately, this book has been translated into various uh, foreign languages and more coming because people recognize that there is nothing else out there that prepares us not only to go on pilgrimage, but even more importantly, to come home. Mm, great. Great. I cannot wait to read it. 
and uh, yeah, I recommend it to everybody. Um, and and if everything that Alexander has done, his heart and mind book, um, quadratos.com is his website. Go and check that out. There's some loads of resources there, including some videos. There's some videos on um, work of the people as well, which you've done. Yeah. Well, they're housed both on the Quadratus website and also on the Work of the People website. So either way, get to those videos. Awesome. And they're great as well. They really are. One more piece. Let me just, if I can take one more minute, James. Yeah. Um, I'm on my way to Spain in April, and I'm going to lead a week's retreat. It's an Easter retreat this year in April and again next year in April. It's just this beautiful retreat center. Uh, just outside of Astorga on the Camino, called Flores del Camino, Flowers of the Camino. And it's a retreat center that is um, that has been created by a lovely woman uh, who's British and a man who's French, a husband and wife, and they're dedicated to sacred geometry. And we are going to explore, starting the Tuesday before Easter to Easter Monday, um, the, great, the deep mysteries of Easter that go back to the second and third century. It's a very different Lent Easter than what most people know today as, as Holy Week or Easter. This is, this is about the mystical death resurrection that's in the, in the heart of each person. And I would just love it if uh, people could come in. One or two or three or four people could come and join me this year. Certainly think about next year. Um, and go look at the website. Flores del Camino. Go there. Just go there. Mm. Brilliant. All right. Sounds great. Sounds great. Um, I'm so excited by this couple. They're in their 30s and what they're doing with this retreat center. And, and, the, the, and here are people who found their authentic voice, took everything they had to go and buy this house in this medieval village and restore it so beautifully. And now offering this space to the world. That's amazing. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, I may well go next year. Um, so, uh, yeah, awesome. I, I, I look forward to every moment with you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's always a pleasure to host you on this on the podcast. Yeah, and I'm going to say happy birthday. I don't know when, when, when this podcast is actually going to be released. But thanks. James's birthday is in March. Celebrate him. Yeah, yeah. We're recording this two days before my birthday. This will probably go out after my birthday, but um, I am grateful for your for your birthday wishes, uh, Alexander, and everybody. Um, yeah, um, I appreciate that. Um, great. Well, thank you for coming on again. It's always a, a privilege to have you on here, Alexander, and you're always welcome back. I really hope I can get to London sometime late this year. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Take care. Take care, everyone.